Thanks for listening to Victory's podcast today. Connecting people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus is what we're all about. For more resources or to reach out to us, go to victorychristian.church. All right, are you all ready for the Bible today? All right, I'm going to go to John chapter 4, verses 7 and through 9, and then we're going to pray together. It says in John chapter 4, 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Let's take a moment and let's pray and we're going to jump into the message today. God, thanks so much for this day and we just uh, appreciate, God, every opportunity that we have to worship you and to glorify you. God, you are so good to us and you are so worthy of our worship and we honor you today. And Lord, today as we come before you and we've just set aside this time, Lord, to focus on you, we open up our hearts to what you would say to us. We have such confidence that by your Holy Spirit, you can speak to every individual through your word today. We thank you for your word. We trust it today. And Lord, I pray for the empowerment and the leading of your Holy Spirit, God, to share what's in your heart. We love you and we just uh, are so appreciative of who you are. It's in the mighty name of Jesus, our Savior and our hero that we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to start a new series today uh, called Smart Water, and we are going to be in John chapter 4, and this story is about a woman who meets Jesus at a well and this whole interaction that they have, and um, I really enjoy talking about this story in the Bible, and as I was reading and studying it, normally I would just do one message. There's so many things in here um, it, it's kind of an easy passage to just preach because you just pick a couple of points and you can preach the whole thing. It's just so simple. But I just felt led this time to spend some more time. We're going to do about three weeks on the woman at the well and go through it a little bit slower and kind of garner more out of it and just really uh, receive. There's so much in the story. As I was looking at it this week, I was thinking about the author who is John, who was one of the disciples, the followers of Jesus. The book of John, or the Gospel of John, was written after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so I kind of have a picture in my mind of, of John and the Isle of Patmos just being able to just really take his time and think about how he was going to give an account of this interaction of Jesus and the woman at the well. And, you know, when I'm looking at it, I'm like, you know, it's a masterpiece. This story is just such a masterpiece all that is condensed into these 20, 21 verses or so, um, I'm just so impressed by it. And I thought, you know, uh, we know that Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit and how he uses the, the author's vocabulary and personality and life experience in writing the Scripture. And I thought, I wonder how long John was with the Lord and just kind of said, you know what, um, how are we going to tell this story? How are we going to impart it? And it really is a masterpiece. So what I'd like to do is begin by reading the story. And as I'm reading the story, I just encourage you to just engage your imagination. Um, I, I want you to act like there's a, a full-color 3D picture in front of you as I'm reading this and that it's coming to life um, even as I read it. Because some, of these, some stories in Scripture give so much detail that we can really 
like kind of get that picture in my mind, in our minds, and I want to encourage you to do that as I read it today. John chapter 4, verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who was baptizing, but his disciples. It's interesting that John wrote that because he's writing about what they were doing. It wasn't Jesus we were baptizing. Although, uh, verse 3, so he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sinkar. Near a plot of ground, Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Whoever drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you are now with is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain but you Jews claim to have a place where we must worship in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah, called Christ, is coming. And when he comes... He will explain everything to us. Then Jesus replied, I, the one you are speaking to, I am he. Just such an amazing masterpiece of a story. I actually haven't even read all of it. The disciples come back and they find her talking and, uh, with Jesus. And then she goes and gets the, the, the townspeople and says, come and meet this prophet who told me everything about my life. And they bring him out and a whole group of Samaritan folks hear from Jesus and inter- interact with him. But um, I want to I take some time and talk to you about the, the first section of this awesome story. You know, in, this, in the book of John, there are a few patterns that we see. Um, And one of the patterns that we see is that Jesus is always the fulfillment of or the better of everything. He is the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. He is the light 
that came into the world. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the better well, if you will, the better source of water. And, you know, this story that we're reading first ends, you know, talks about travel. Like, well, Jesus is in Judea and he's going to head um, up to Galilee. And so the story starts off almost like it's an accident. Like, you know, Jesus isn't even really supposed to be there because Jesus is really on his way somewhere else. And the context of that is, you know, Jesus and his disciples are gaining a bunch of disciples and a bunch of people are getting baptized. And, you know, John the Baptist by this time is probably already in jail uh, because he was considered such a threat to the uh, people in power and authority. And so Jesus's um, his influence was growing, and he was becoming a threat. And so what Jesus would do is he would kind of move from one location to another location just before things would kind of boil over. And the reason was is because he would say that his hour had not quite come. And every time you see that in Scripture in the book of John, his hour had not yet come. It's talking about the cross. It's saying it's not time yet for the cross. So the things in the community are heating up and Jesus is getting so much attention and he's frustrating the people who are in authority and power. And so what does he do? He says, all right, we're going to transition from Judea, which is in lower Israel. And he says, I'm going to go up to Galilee, which is where he's from in northern Israel. And so the route that he took even was one where he would avoid a clash with whoever was, you know, the ruling class, right? Because, see, the normal route that you would go is that you would go to the east over to Jericho, and then you would head up north, right? And that was kind of like the way you would go. And the, <clears throat> the reason is you were intentionally avoiding going through Samaritan country. You were actually trying... It was actually a harder route to go over to Jericho and then to go north, but they were intentionally, culturally, like, I want to avoid these people. You know, their, their racism and, and isolationism was so strong that they would take a harder route just to avoid interacting with people, right? That never happens in our culture, right? We're so much better than that. When we read Scripture, we're always the good side. Um, no, we're not. So Jesus and his disciples... They took the road less traveled by. Thank you, Robert Frost, right? Um, they cut right through Samaria to get to Galilee in the north. And while they're doing that, Jesus' team, he says, all right, we're going to take a break, and here's Jacob's well, which is a very historic thing. We'll talk about that in another, another message. And um, his disciples decide, listen, we're going to go off to buy some food. Jesus, you hang out here at the well. And as I was reading this and looking at it and studying it, I wondered, I wonder if they, you know, I've always read it, they just left Jesus back so that he could rest, which I think is absolutely, he needed the rest, he was hungry, that kind of thing. But, you know, knowing Jesus, I wonder if they just didn't want to take him into Samaria because they knew if they brought Jesus into Samaria, what's Jesus going to do? He's going to be Jesus right? I wonder if like the, the whole, we don't want to be here, we don't want to be in Samaria, we don't want to be with these people ran so deep that they were like, let's leave the Savior here. And let's just go in and let's get some food. You know, the, the well was uh, a quiet place um, around noon where they left him. And so I think it was probably a pretty safe place to leave Jesus, if you will, right? 
Because what happened is the well was a place where actually ladies normally congregated because it was in that day and age, it was typical of the ladies to go and get water. But they would do it at the beginning of the day or they would do it at the end of the day because it was a lot cooler. And it gave them time to hang out, you know, and talk about how bad their husbands were. I'm just kidding. They would talk about life and children and how blessed they are. Um, and uh, so they would, you know, it was a normal place. So leaving Jesus at noon was an interesting time because it probably there's going to be no traffic there, right? And Jesus is sitting there. There would be like a little wall around the well, and the reason was is so that um, no animals would fall into the well or children or anybody would like just kind of accidentally go into the well. So he's probably sitting like right there. It says he's sitting by the well. He's probably sitting right there on a wall. And so <clears throat> this whole scenario, Jesus is at the well, the disciples are in town. I want you to catch today, this is not supposed to even be happening, right? Jesus just happens to be in Samaria. The Jewish Messiah is certainly not supposed to be there in their mind. And really, he's not even, Samaria is not even the destination. He's on his way somewhere else, right? But you know, God can use you in every location of your life. There can be unexpected diversions in your life that God can use of the Lord. Maybe that time that you're standing in line for so long at Aldi or at Kroger, maybe it's the Lord. Maybe it's not the devil. <laughs> How many of y'all like the line switch? Any line switchers out there? You're like, at, and you all, uh, I had a, a preacher, I don't know why a preacher was preaching this to me, and I don't know why I'm preaching it to you, but they said, listen, stay in your lane, stay in your line. If you switch lines, you're always going to regret it. I don't know, I've had some success with it, um, mixed success, but you know, your plan B can be used of the Lord. You can end up places and doing things that you didn't plan. Sometimes we can get so frustrated, like, I didn't plan on being here. I don't want to be here. I'm just trying to get somewhere else that we can actually miss. Y'all hearing this? You could miss the opportunity that's being presented to you. Your pause along the road of life might just be a divine encounter. So I want to encourage you, pay attention in life to what's going on around you. You know, a lot of us thought that we would stay indoors and stay away from people and maybe mask up and things like that for a week or two or a couple months. And then we thought, well, certainly by the summer we'd be done. But I don't know if you all have noticed, life has changed a little bit. Maybe God's got some things he wants to do in the midst of it. Or do you think that God just put all his plans on hold and he says, I'll wait till the pandemic's over? I don't think so. I just want to encourage you to stay sensitive to the unction of the Holy, and the leading of the Holy Spirit. What does what unction mean? Unction is kind of like that gut feel like, ooh, I need to do something. That kind of like tug that comes inside of you that says, mm, maybe I should say something, maybe I should do something, maybe I should go that way. It's that idea that, that, that seems probably nicer than you would normally be. I know some of y'all are very nice. Um, or it's a unique idea. Maybe it's an idea that comes in your, in your thought and you're like, I don't think I would normally think that. Why is that thought or that idea or that initiation, that unction dropping in me right now? It may just be the Holy Spirit. I find especially the ones that are sticky, that kind of stick with you. And you go, you know what? Maybe that is a God idea. And I just want to say, you know, you... You may be the one to start the conversation. Don't be afraid. Just jump in. 
and just take opportunities that come your way and pay attention to them because God may give you a woman at the well kind of experience, someone you never thought you would talk to, never interact with, who may really need some living water. You know, again, this scenario is not supposed to happen, right? Jesus just happens to be at this well in Samaria. The Jewish Messiah is not supposed to be there, right? He's on his way somewhere else, and yet a Samaritan woman arrives at the well to draw water all alone. Now, I've got to tell you, it is hard to overemphasize how awkward this situation is. Um, and we're going to get into that here in a little bit moment. But, what, but only one thing could make this whole thing more awkward, and that's Jesus initiating a conversation. It was the only thing that could make the situation worse, was for him to actually open his mouth and talk to her. He broke every social and cultural rule by simply opening his mouth and saying anything at all to this woman. Remember, it says, when the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? I got to tell you, people who are reading this scripture, you know, John writes this scripture and he sends it off to the churches and they're reading this kind of thing. The moment that it says, will you give me a drink? Every, the, the air went out of the room. They're all like, <gasps> his disciples had gone into town to buy food. The, the Samaritan woman said to her, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. And everybody in the room who's hearing this and reading the scripture for the first time is going, yeah, what are you doing, right? How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. That was put in there for us so that we would understand like, what's going on. Everybody who read this for the first time got it. Now let's break it down a little bit. The divide between Samaritan and Jew is difficult to overstate as well. The bad blood, the history that goes way, way back. You know, this story is happening in about 30 AD, right? About, about that time period. The history of bad blood between Samaritans and the Jews goes, starts back 900 years before that. 900 years before, when the tribes of Israel split into a northern and a southern kingdom is where all of this started. The north, they actually would call them Israel, and the south, they would call them Judea. As a matter of fact, when you read in your scripture in uh, Kings and Chronicles and a lot of them, there's a lot of scriptures where it's talking about Israel, and it's actually only talking about the tribes in the north. And then it will use the word Judea for the tribes in the south. I learned that in Bible college a long way, and I thought, wow, that's probably helpful information to know. Um, they separated, and they each had separate kings, and the animosity between them, and this is like civil war kind of stuff. Like they, This is north and south you know, happening in Israel, and they are completely split, split and the animosity is great. The tribes in the north, and that's what's going to become Samaria, the tribes in the north only accepted the first five books of the Bible, Exodus, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We, we, the fancy word for that is the Pentateuch, right? That, the first five, that's all that they would accept. Every other piece of scripture that was written after that, they don't accept. They don't accept the Psalms, Proverbs, the minor prophets, the major prophets, none of it. So they have that part of scripture and that's it. To make things worse, you know, so they only accept part of the faith, if you will, in the scripture. To make things worse, 700 years ago, the Assyrians come in and they take over the north, right, to conquer them. And when they conquer them, they repopulate 
repopulate it with their own people. And this meant that the people in the northern kingdom began to intermarry with the people of, of, uh, of the Assyrian Empire, right? And, and so they lost track of their genealogy, which is really significant. That meant those 10 tribes, those people in the north, 700 years ago lost track of being able to specifically tie their heritage back directly to Abraham, which was a really big deal. And so the folks in the south, they felt all this reason to feel more elite, more important, more valuable because they stuck with the faith and they had you know, all the Old Testament you know, uh, under their belt, if you will. And these relatives, their distant relatives, they had every reason to feel superior and separate because they realized, you know what, those folks in the north, they separated from us 900 years ago. You know, they don't accept all of Scripture and you know, they worship differently and they worship on a different mountain and they don't accept all of Scripture and you know, they intermarried and they're no longer pure like us. All of these reasons. And it's an unhealthy and ungodly version of like nationalism and racism that went on for hundreds of years. Makes you think, well, maybe the problems in the world aren't that new. You know what I'm talking about? Right? I, I think it's really interesting because it's like we can look into the Word and we can bring it forward and look at issues in our own hearts. The disciples probably didn't even want to be in Samaria. Um, they, they're probably thinking like, in their own minds, like, I don't want to be around these people, and we got to get food. I don't know where the Kroger is. I don't even know where their Walmart is. I don't know what, where the, everything is. Let's just leave Jesus at this real safe spot by this well, and we'll get our food, and let's just get on to Galilee. I think that's probably what was going on in their mind. And they, they leave Jesus all alone there at Jacob's well, and I, I, I'm wondering if they're thinking like, oh, we, he can't get in any trouble there, right? And they, they only come back to find him talking to a Samaritan woman who has a past. I mean, but you know what? The book of John, reading this, you know, the, 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 this in context, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That word for world there is cosmos. It's the idea of everyone. It's the whole, you can even be translated loosely into like mankind. Like God so loved mankind. And Jesus broke every social rule just to talk cross the street if you will to talk to this lady um the samaritans there is you know centuries of disdain and distrust this woman you know men in that day rarely talked to their own wives in public can you imagine that that, that's just great. Like, you don't even talk to your own wife that much in, in public. So the idea of him talking to a woman who's not his wife, and he's alone, like, and he's a religious leader, which means he's held up to a higher standard. Like, he's expected to keep all these cultural norms. And, oh, of course, Jesus is single, and, oh, she has a past. There's all kinds of problems going on 
with this picture. But I have a question for you. What was it that compelled Jesus to look at her and say, will you give me a drink? And don't say he was just thirsty. You don't break all the social rules just for a cup of water. No, he had an agenda. And his agenda was, here's this person that is in front of me, and that person matters. You know why? Because God so loved the world. And apparently, catch this this morning, apparently she was worth it. And I want to challenge you today. Are there people in this world that you don't feel are worth it? And if you feel that way, I just want to lovingly but directly encourage you to repent. Because Jesus doesn't look at people that way. There's no one that Jesus looks at and goes, you're not worth me going to the cross. Never in his prayer life did he go to the Father and go, really, I'm dying for that joker? Like that's never what's been in his his heart. And here's the thing, if you will receive the truth that she was worth it, you will even more readily receive the truth that you were worth it. That you are that valuable to him. And you know what? Your neighbor, my neighbor is worth it. Your coworker, my coworker is with it, worth it. Your enemy, my enemy, they are worth it. And one of the things that we see in the very front end of this story is that our comfort zones are overrated. Overrated, overvalued, and they become these artificial barriers to the gospel. Artificial barriers to ways that God can use us. And, you know, last week I gave testimony about people who are in the underground church in Central Asia and the extraordinary measures that they are going through to reach people and talk to people. But I think one of the greatest barriers here is our own culture and our own fears and our own thoughts. And I just look at this story and I look at the initiation of Jesus being in a place he's not supposed to be, talking to somebody he's not supposed to be talking to, and looking at it and go, why is this happening? It's because Jesus just loves people. And he loves the world around us. And I I wonder what amazing things lie on the other side of your comfort zone. I want you to think about that today. What are the amazing things that lie beyond where you are comfortable? What amazing encounters, what amazing stories, what amazing miracles, what amazing God stories? And yes, there will probably be some embarrassing moments and things like that. But you know what? I think it's worth it. I think it's worth it to tear down the walls of our comfort zone and to say, God, show me people you care about and help me to have the courage to just be myself. God's not asking you to be someone other than you are, but you have a story and you have something that God's done in your own life. You have an encounter with God that no one can take from you and there's power in your testimony. There's power in your experience with God and you have no idea who it might be able to touch if we would just tear down some of our comfort zone barriers and allow ourselves to open up our mouth first. Amen? I want to close this morning with a scripture in Ephesians chapter 2. And I'm going to get a little theological with you. Because this this, uh, conversation that Jesus is having with the Samaritan woman, um, it's going to take the disciples a long time to really figure out all the implications of this. Because they're really thinking Jesus is there just to save them and their people. And they're not necessarily looking at it as, no, the purpose of you as a Jewish nation was to bring us the gift of Jesus so that we could all have the opportunity of salvation. 
And so they're, they're still calculating and trying to figure all of this out. And in Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul gives an explanation, if you will, on a larger scale of what's going on. And he's going to talk about the dividing wall of hostility. And when you read the whole of, of Ephesians and Ephesians 2, it's talking about the divide between Jewish and non-Jewish. And the way that Scripture talks about it is Jewish and Gentile. And what it's saying is that, listen, we are all uh, children of faith or we're all Abraham's children when we decide to have faith in Jesus, as Scripture also in the New Testament. So Ephesians 2.14 is going to describe in great detail what, ha- what is really happening in Jesus reaching out to the Samaritan woman. Jesus, uh, Ephesians 2.14 says this, For he himself is our peace, who, made us, who has made two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its command and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace, and in one body reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which they put put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away, and peace to those who are near. Through, for through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. Do you catch that? That Samaritan woman. You are no longer a foreigner or a stranger, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also member of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone. I just want to encourage you today, this good news that Jesus gave his life up for us, that we could have our sins forgiven, that we could have our guilt taken away, that we could receive the power that we need by the Holy Spirit to live a life before God. All of that, that message, that good news is for everyone. And it's for people that we're uncomfortable talking to. It's for people that we're social rules says you're not supposed to talk to. That message is for every single person. And you know what's really wonderful about that? It means that God loves the cosmos. He loves all of mankind. He loves everyone on the planet. And that also means he loves you like crazy. And if you're in that place where maybe you've never taken that step, to put your faith in Christ. It says here in this scripture, how is it that the t- we, become, we come to know him? It's when we put our faith, which is our trust in God. And maybe you're in that place where you need today to put your faith in God. If you've never done it, if you've never said, God, I want to take my life out of my own hands and I want to put my life into your hands, I just want to encourage you today to make today the day that you say, Jesus, I take my life out of my hands and I put my trust and my faith in you. And if you're making that decision today, I want to encourage you uh, to go and let us know by going to victorychristian.church and click on Next Steps, because that decision is such a big deal. We want to connect with you and be with you and and root you on and make sure you have all that you need. If you're in the in-person service, you can come and share that with me today. Um, And I would love the opportunity to pray with you. I want to close today with a prayer for you and for us. And that prayer is this, is that God will help us to see opportunities that maybe we didn't realize were opportunities, right? 
Jesus wasn't really supposed to be there, and yet he was supposed to be there. And maybe there are some places in your life that you think, I'm not even supposed to be here. Maybe that's an opportunity to pay even more attention because God's got a plan, right? And let's pray that God will enable us to dispel our fears and to not let comfort zone become an excuse for us because we want to see the amazing things that God wants to do around us. And our comfort zones are overrated, and they're not helping us. Amen? Amen. Let's take a moment. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for the opportunity to hear your word today. And Jesus, we are so impressed by you. Whether those disciples were trying to isolate you or not, the reality is you just care about every person on the planet. And I thank you that that includes me. That includes everyone under the sound of my voice, Lord God. You so care about every one of us. And we're impressed by your heart and your love. And God, we just pray today, help us to pay attention to opportunities. And and Lord, that when we have that unction and that leading of the Holy Spirit to say something or to do something, God, that we would just have a bias towards action and a bias towards just obedience and saying, yes, Lord, Whatever you say, I just want to follow after what you're putting in my heart. And God, we thank you for your motivation of love. And let, that, let your love tear down every bit of our comfort zone barriers that we put up. Lord God, that culture puts up. And Lord, may we penetrate the culture with the good news, Jesus, of who you are. We love you, Jesus. We just say today, you're our hero. And you certainly have the better water, the living water, the smart water. We love you today and we honor you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to connect with us or if you'd like to know how you can give, go to victorychristian.church. Have a great day.